Mindfulness Mode 289. The shade is down and you can't see it. It's dark. I mean, isn't like you are missing out on the feast of the beauty that is in the world. So mindful tribe, today, a man who is an author and a very brilliant man when it comes to many topics, but one of them is the topic of evolution. I read his book, which is called Evolution 2.0, and I found it was compelling. I was totally interested, totally drawn in, and I was thrilled to have a chance to talk with the author of this wonderful book. Whether you have set attitudes or not, whether you're you know, undecided, whether you're completely, absolutely set in what you believe about creationism and evolution, I think you will enjoy the thoughts and the mindfulness, the processes around these ideas. I know I did. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode about evolution. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we have a wonderful guest today. I have Perry Marshall with me, and this is going to be exciting, talking about mindfulness with Perry. Hey, Perry, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I am. Uh, I started my day like I always do with uh, prayer meditation and journaling, which is probably the best habit I've cultivated in decades, uh, which uh, I'm, I just figured out the other day uh, 1600 days and counting uh with without you know skipping so it's, it's a great great uh practice so and that's a good record yes yeah so good to be on your show and and talking about all this and like we we said before we get started i i don't know all the different things that we're going to tour today but it's going to be it's going to be a fun conversation it is going to be fun. I just want to take a second and say a bit about you, Perry. And this is what I've got here. Perry Marshall is an author, an engineer, and an expert in online marketing. He's also a thought leader in the area of creationism and evolution. His recent book, Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design, is a look at Perry's research and his conclusions regarding common opinions surrounding creationism and evolution. And Perry, he concludes that neither side is telling you the whole story. Now, there's lots to read in there and learn about, but, you know, I'm kind of underestimating Perry's accomplishments here because... Well, I could go on and on. He's uh, an AdWords guy. Perry's Google AdWords books have resulted in the 100 billion pay-per-click industry, some would say. He's written the world's best-selling book on web advertising called Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords. And how all this is related to mindfulness and evolution well, let's find out. We'll we'll just start by talking, Perry, if we could, about mindfulness and what that means to you in your life. Well, um, every morning, my my routine is I, I get out of bed about quarter to six, and um, and I get a shower and a cup of tea, and and I do an hour of prayer and journaling and meditation. I started that about four years ago. And um, I actually believe that the highest, most valuable skill that you can cultivate 
is listening. And um, this is a, a completely foreign concept to a lot of people, certainly not most people, and certainly not people who listen to a show like this. Um, but, um, you, you know, when you, when you read uh, religious literature, or it, it could even be as simple as the story of where J.K. Rowling's idea for Harry Potter came from, like that came as a massive download while she was on a stalled train in the space of like two or three hours. And she's like furiously writing stuff down. And, you know, the, the Greeks always uh, believed that the muse was this thing outside of yourself. And, you know, I know a lot of artists uh, living in Chicago and hanging out with the people that I hang out with. I mean, um, you know, and, and most artists will tell you, you know, I don't know where that came from, but it, it you know, it, it came from out there. Well, look, um, uh, I, I think that's really how it does work. And I've had some really stunning experiences uh, in my life that I have come to call memos from the head office. And I have a few interesting stories about that. And, and you'll find people like scattered, like sprayed throughout history where, you know, that is their experience. And so I started to realize uh, you know, probably 10 years ago, that this is actually a cultivated skill. This is something that, you know, some people, they don't, they don't think it exists. They insist that it doesn't, it doesn't conform to their experience. So they just think everybody else is crazy. It's like, no, you have a theory. I have an experience and theory never bows to experience. Um, and, and so, so I've just gotten more and more serious about cultivating that. And, uh, and, and, and I would say in my life, you know, there's a, there's an obscure song by uh, a guy named Bob Bennett and it's got this line in it and it says day by day, the integration of the concrete in the spiritual. And uh, I, I would say that's a major theme in my life. In fact, you can put it on my tombstone if you want. Um, and it's like how far both directions can you stretch? Okay. So, you know, the concrete, well, I'm an electrical engineer and I teach online advertising, which is a rigorous empirical Google analytics, numbers, statistics, all of that. Okay. And, and, and I think it's great. Okay. And, and, and I think you, you need to be grounded in that, and especially in business. Like if you're not measuring stuff or in engineering, right? Um, I mean, if you don't know how the transistors actually work, how on earth are you going to build a chip, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like that whole side of the world. But you can go all the way to this other side. Um, and, you know, what is the artistic process? And, uh, and how does that work? And, um you know, you, you, you can't adequately explain that just in terms of billiard balls banging around in the universe or molecules. Uh, I, I completely embrace an integrationist view of the universe um, and biology, by the way, as well. I, I think you, you have to see things as a whole and not just as their component parts. 
Um, and things, the sum really is greater than the parts. And, and so, and you don't even know how far that goes. You don't even know how connected things are. Um, and so in the world, you, you actually have a, a pretty significant chasm between people. They're over on the concrete side. You got other people. They're, they're in the, um, kind of the kind of the spiritual, metaphysical side. I really try to bring the two together as best I possibly can and, and, and try to get the two sides to understand each other. And it's, you know, it, it's not like either one has an end point. You can, you can just go further and further and further. You can go to the subatomic particles if you want, right? But then you, you can look at the whole universe. Well, that's how it felt in your book. Uh, evolution 2.0 that you were really looking at both sides and what surprised me is you know I got this book and I thought oh man this looks like a pretty heavy read right but it really didn't feel like that Mm. at all because you're just having a conversation yes and you're footnoting everything it seems (laughs) which is amazing and yeah you know then you talked about DNA and and how you know the challenge is figuring out where does this cell come from? I mean, that's yeah. the whole question. Where does the right. cell come from? And then you t- start, well, DNA, it's code. It's just basically code. It's the same thing. And it's like, it just came to you really that, you know, here we are writing code. We're trying to figure out Google and how it works. Yeah. It's it's really all the same thing. It It, it is, it is. And, and in fact, you know, my, really my, my career as an electrical engineer kind of um, encapsulate this rather nicely because um, in in electrical engineering, which is, you know, responsible for all of these iPhones and computers and satellites and all the stuff that we, I mean, yes. so basically it's created the world that we live in. It has. You have to embrace both ends of the spectrum, okay? You have to embrace, you know, the way the chemicals and the atoms and the electrons and the bits work okay but on the other hand you can never understand something purely on that level because if you're going to build a car or build a cell phone or so you, you start with well this is what i want and then what are all the different ways that i could do it it's a very very intentional process and so in my mind there's and and see cells do that they do, they cells engineer themselves um, in in these most amazing ways. And so I actually regard what humans do as actually just uh, kind of a fractal manifestation of how all of life works. And you can can go all the way out to the whole entire earth. I mean, I don't talk about this in my book, but there's this thing called the Gaia hypothesis, which says that, that the whole earth essentially acts like a single organism that regulates its temperature and like how much oxygen is in the air, the the same way that your body regulates its temperature. Um, And so you can even look at the whole earth as, as a a single living system. I think that's a, that's a very useful and valid way to look at things. And, And so what we humans do um, when we create, we're, we're just expressing what's already in nature. And of course, it's joyful to do that, right? And, um, and, and you know, it, it pains me that, that there are some people that uh, they, they live such an, they have such an impoverished view of the world that they're not even able to even see that, let alone appreciate and enjoy it. So, 
you know, I, I was think yesterday, yesterday I was, um, we're in the, like the best, uh, season of fall right now here in Chicago, like outside the door, the neighbor's tree is this brilliant light greenish yellow. And it's just blazing. And yesterday afternoon it was sunny and the, the shade was down in the living room and I, uh, my kids were in the living room and I opened the shade. I said, does anybody looked out the window and seen this tree? And, and, you know, my son's like, Oh my goodness, look at that thing. And, and, and it's like, you know, it's almost like a crime. If the shade is down, if there's a beautiful tree outside and the shade is down and you can't see it, and it's dark. I mean, isn't like you are missing out on the feast of the beauty that is in the world. Yeah. Um, and th this is, this is one of the reasons I just had to write this book evolution 2.0. I mean, it's not like, uh, I, I can tell you so far, this has not like been a money making exercise. It's actually been a very expensive project, but it's like, sometimes you just know that like I have a job to do in the world and the job is to open the shades so people can actually see what's outside the window. And how much courage did that take? I mean, I, I can hardly imagine how much courage it must have taken to undergo that and share it with the world. Well, it took courage on a bunch of levels. So, so first, the, let, let's just start. With, so the book starts with an argument with my brother. Yes. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's now the president of my company. And mm -hmm. I still think he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. So he's, he's super valuable and he's great at asking questions. Well, He'd graduated from seminary. He's in China. He's doing missionary work on the side. And he goes from super right-wing fundamentalist Christian to almost atheist in the space of four years. And he's kind of dragging me with him against my will. And I, I reached this point and I said, you know what? You know, I, I have this set of views that I've grown up with. And for the most part, I like them. Yeah, there's, you know, maybe things I don't like, but you know, this seems to work, but it might not be true. And I, I'm going to take this whole thing and I'm going to kind of like almost like put it on the altar or put it on the anvil and I'm going to start pounding on this and I'm going to pound this really, really hard. And you know what? Uh -huh. If it breaks, I'm willing to abandon it. I just want to know it's true. I can't live my life in some kind of like dissonance between, well, I really know this isn't true, but I'm going to wall that off and I'm going to pretend that it is. I couldn't do that. I couldn't be intellectually honest. And so I just, I just dove into this thing and, and, um, for a while it was like a big abyss. It's like, I'm falling. I don't know if I'm going to land. I don't know if I'm going to crash. I don't know if there's broken glass and concrete at the bottom, but here we go. Right. And, um, it, it, it was actually really important that I did that because if I, if I hadn't been willing to just completely release everything and almost start over, there's a whole bunch of things I would have never, ever discovered. It was actually only at the point where I kind of was willing to let go of everything that the whole puzzle was able to rearrange. And I was actually... I, I ended up still absolutely, definitely being a Christian, absolutely, definitely having faith, but having a much bigger view of things than I had ever had before. In fact, 
the the new view was really beyond what I had ever imagined before. And so coming around full circle, um, it really ended up being pretty cool. And, and one of the things that I did, you know, I talked about putting things on the anvil. I mean, I really did. Um, I, I eventually got pulled into the world's largest atheist discussion board in the world, uh, having to defend myself all by myself. Um, I didn't really have anybody to help me. And actually there was one guy trying to help me and he wasn't helping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it was like me against like 50 people and I held them off for seven years. Um, They never punched a hole in my argument at all. They were furious. I mean, they were just, and the, the argument was DNA is a code. All, every single one of the other codes we know are designed. Therefore, the inference is that DNA is designed. Um, nobody, it's, and I said, hey, look, if, if you can show me any code that's not designed, man, you win. But, but they couldn't do it. Well, I, I, the really short version of the story is this eventually turned into a technology prize where it's still on the anvil, except now it's $5 million. And I've kind of adjusted my, the, my perspective on this a little bit. Um, you know, what I was trying to do 10 years ago was basically prove that God exists. Um, what I'm trying to do now is not so much that, um, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, ex- it's overwhelmingly evident that the universe and everything is profoundly structured and divinely ordered. I, 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 in my mind, there's just no question about that, but I'm like beyond needing to prove that. Um, what I'm trying to do is create a situation where religion and science are not in a war with each other. And this is part of the reason why I put this prize together is, is, you know, atheists just want to jump to some quick and dirty, easy explanation, or even just make up a story. A lot of times they're just willing to make up a story and believe it. Right. Um, uh, Christians and, and people of faith, religious, spiritual people, they go, Oh, well, well it's God. And, like that's, that's all they need. End of story. Okay. Yeah, well, end of story. yeah, but I'm trying to bring these two views together and, and, yes. and you have to honor what a scientist does for a living. A, a, a scientist can never go, well, God did this, that settles it. Let's go out to lunch and have some drinks. Oh, like how's he ever going to get paid to do that? Um, all a scientist can do is peel the onion, peel the onion. And I said, Hey, look, you know, if there's some way to get a code straight from chemicals, if there's some principle of self-organization out there, then doggone it, let's find it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hugely valuable. Uh, and that's why I got a bunch of investors together to fund this prize. On the other hand, you know, maybe 500 years from now, this is still not solved. It's like one of those really old problems that nobody was ever able to figure out for hundreds of years. That's fine too. At least we're telling the truth. What, what really pains me right now is there are a lot of people, they're not really telling the truth at all. They're not being honest about this at all. Um, they, they won't really discuss it. They, they resist this conversation even happen, happening in the first place through political um, gerrymandering uh, or just silencing of the conversation rather than being willing to have it. I think that's cowardly. It's just it's wimpy and, uh, and, and it, it deserves no honor. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think the question that, that is presented to all of us is 
Well, are, do you have the courage to follow the evidence where it leads? Um, and, and, uh, and, and this is, this applies to everybody. I mean, if you're a person of faith, if you're an agnostic, if you're an atheist or you're anything, do you have the courage to follow the evidence wherever it takes you? Will you rearrange your whole belief system in your whole life if you find out something that you know is true? And that, that takes a lot of courage. Yeah, yeah, it truly does. And, you know, the, the, the world that we live in, we are surrounded by people who want us to believe certain things, obviously. And, yep. and that's the thing, like you're, you're presenting a book and you're saying, okay, here's an idea, footnote. Here's an idea, footnote. Yep. And you're giving us the, the basis for that idea. And then you're moving on. More yes. ideas and here are the footnotes. But in our world, we are in scientific communities who want us to believe certain ideas. We're in educational communities. We're in spiritual communities that just say, no, 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 just believe this. Take yeah. this idea and believe it. Right. And you're trying to bring this all into a place where we actually do base our beliefs on research and facts for the most part. How can we convert our population to that point? Because so many of us are steeped in this tradition of just simply following like sheep. Well, I, I think that a huge reason for this state of affairs is frankly information overload. Um, what, what I found when, when, when I went really deep into the subject and I started getting in all of these debates and arguments and discussions and everything like that is, you know, you cannot sort out a, a fire hose of 50 facts that are blasted in your face uh, you can't really evaluate any of them. What you have to do is you have to pick like the most important thing as best you can tell, ignore everything else and just go deep on the one thing. And um, when you're willing to do that, at first it's very slow and it's very stumbling and bumbling, but after a while you start to gain your footing and you start to figure things out and you really get what I call touching the bottom of the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. which is something that most people have never really ever done in their life. But if you, if you actually touch the bottom of the swimming pool and you get to the really bottom of something, then you know what it's like, and then you can do it again. You can do it again. You can do it again. And, and, and I started doing this and really turning this into a cultivated skill. And in fact, just a few weeks ago, I had my round table group, which, you know, this is a dozen people that pay $20,000 a year to come to our private mm -hmm. mastermind meetings. And we had this whole conversation, like uh, I, I gave a little talk about touching the bottom of the swimming pool. Like, have you actually gotten to the root, root, root of whatever your problem is? And then everybody's hot seats, all the things they were presenting, all the problems, Every time somebody would bring a problem to the table, somebody would say, well, okay, so what's actually the bottom of the swimming pool with this problem that, and what I found invariable, it, it would push them deeper and deeper and deeper into, um, oh, you know what? This is actually the bedrock of my problem, right? And it's like, okay, so you're not touching bedrock now, but if we move this over and then we bolt you down and then now it's like, like a bridge, right? If, 
you know, it could ha have mud and silt and all this kind of stuff. But if, if the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge is actually rooted on pilings of granite, way down under there, then man, you can shake that thing. It's not going to fall down. And, you know, and, and, and so what, what you see in our culture is you have, you see a, a whole bunch of people, they're not touching the bottom of any swimming pool at all, but, but then they're wrestling with an octopus. And then in their desperation of not feeling any sense of certainty, they're just grabbing onto, oh, I'm going to grab onto Donald Trump. I'm going to grab onto Hillary. I'm going to, well, they're not touching the bottom of a swimming pool either. So you just no. have this big mass of people going round and round in circles, not getting anywhere, not solving anything. Like, mm -hmm. look at Congress. Yeah, Congress hasn't, like, solved uh, hardly a single problem in, like, a year. Right. Um, now, in some sense, that's good because it kind of means they're leaving us alone, which most of the time that seems to work best. But, right, there's big problems out there like the Huge. healthcare system is just a mess yes it is. it is a mess right and people like my friend jack his daughter had an accident a few months ago he's like well my daughter's doing pretty good but one thing i learned was how screwed up this whole health thing is oh my mm. goodness perry and so so um what what i've what i've been getting a lot of my customers to do and this is a very active thing like this isn't just a, a mere suggestion i mean we're selling programs around this is like we have this program called 30 day reboot that we offer a couple three times a year mm -hmm. and in 30 day reboot massive massive email unsubscribe delete the social media apps from your um from your phone Begin your day every day, at least 20 minutes, you have to do mindfulness. I don't call it mindfulness, but that's basically what it is. Journaling, prayer, meditation, get your cup of coffee, center yourself. Yeah. Do not start your day in social media. Do not start your day in your email box under any circumstances. Do not start your day reacting to stuff. And people are like, oh my word, I can think again. I have way more time than I ever believed or realized that I do. And, oh, yeah, you know, I was swatting away my kids while I was playing Candy Crush, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, I mean, I've got so many. And yeah. so, um, and and it, look, it's it's actually not very hard. You just have to be very countercultural. Uh, here's another piece of it, big piece of this. You should read something written before Gutenberg every day. Hmm. That is like the ultimate anti-social media salvo. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, here's why. So social media, I had sushi for lunch today. Here's a picture of it, right? And you yeah. push a button, right? And it's just so easy, right? Yeah. And the world's just full of all this noise. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Back when scribes had to copy scrolls by hand and they put them in urns in a cave so that when Rome got sacked or Alexandria got burned down, that they actually survived. You know, was anybody going to tell you that they had sushi for lunch? No. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. The only stuff that got written down was like the most top 0.0001% of the best of the best, right? right? So if it survived the sacking of Rome and it survived the burning of Alexandria and it survived all that, and we still have Plato and we still have Homer and we still have Aristotle and we still have the 
Torah and the New Testament and all that, what that tells you is that generations and generations and generations of people said, no, this is valuable, right? So you go back and you start reading that stuff, you get this totally other perspective. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, news is old things happening to new people, okay? Yeah, same stuff happening over and over and over again. That's and what so it is. I kid you not, I do not watch the news. My wife either. actually tells me what's going on. <laughs> I've read enough ancient literature. I already know what the news is. Yeah. Okay. Somebody, somebody was corrupt. Somebody got shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some country had a coup. Okay. Some airplane got hijacked. Some guy wa- walked into a building and shot a bunch of people. Yep. That's the news. I know, you know, same stuff, different day in, in now what, so I'm not focused on like the surface level of, Oh, did you hear why the guy shot all the people? I'm interested in what's really going on in the human heart. What's really going on in the human mind. How do these human beings actually work? Right. If, if you, if you pay attention to the very, very smartest people out there, they all read this kind of literature. Okay. Right. They, they, they're much more into the old stuff than the new stuff. Like if you pay attention to Nassim Nicholas Taleb, he's reading guys from 800 years ago. Okay. You know, if, if you listen to Jordan Peterson, he's talking about um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn or Leo Tolstoy or the brothers Karamazov or something like that. And he's going, Oh, Oh, this Ontario transgender thing. This is just another grab against free speech. That's all this is. This isn't about transgender at all. And no, we're not inviting Marxism, communism, and fascism back in over my dead body, right? Now, it's because they've, they've actually read the history. And, and you just start to see things with such clarity. Um, it, and... And in your in your your signal to noise ratio is so much better. Like I can actually think and actually do stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I gave up the news probably about four or five years ago, and and yeah, it's made a huge difference. I want to ask you. I know that when you were a teenager, you were busy creating speakers, building speakers, doing cool stuff like that. What were you like when you were eight years old, Perry? What sorts of things were you doing, and what was going through your mind at that time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a great question. Well, um, when I was eight, I discovered electricity. I discovered I could take like a flash light bulb and wires and hook them up to batteries and complete the circuit. And, you know, and I just started becoming obsessed about this. I remember one day I drew a diagram on a piece of paper. I said, dad, I figured out how a three-way light bulb is wired in that lamp over there. And it was right, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and so like I was in, and, you know, so I had to make motors and batteries and erector sets. Yes. All this, I mean, I've, I've been a geek. I mean, I was a geek then. I'm a geek now. I'll be a, de- a geek when they shovel dirt on my face. Um, and, uh, and oh, yeah, just insatiably curious, like, uh, Dad, uh, how does a car work? Dad, how does electric motor work? Dad, you know, yeah. like he didn't know any of this stuff. Like, I just had to go to the library and figure it out. You had to you figure know? it out. Now but, yeah. it's even easier with the internet. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, I love what you said in your book about how, you know, it's the outsiders who can often figure things out. You know, you're not a scientist, but you've written a book about this. You know, you're essentially an outsider. And so I wonder, are we at a place where it's not smart to send your kid to university? It's not smart to get into this? Because what you're doing is you think, oh, I want to be a scientist, so I'll go to university to be a scientist. Well, is that a problem? You know... I have a I have some really seriously mixed feelings about that. I think if you actually get what a, what an education was originally designed to be, mm-hmm. I think it's great. But yeah. there's a number of really serious serious problems with it. Number one is most parents do not realize how completely overrun with c- political correctness modern universities are. Most parents don't really realize that in an awful lot of English departments, you're not even going to get Shakespeare and Beowulf and, you know, and Hemingway and whatever. You're going to get a bunch of postmodernist, feminist, uh, deconstructionist, post-Marxist crap. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, seriously. Right. Like, like the humanities have just been bludgeoned uh, by a lot of the universities. Okay. Another issue is that the costs are completely out of control. Yes. Let, let me, let me, let me talk about that for just a minute. My friend, Tom Malash has a great kind of rant about this, but it basically goes like this. Um, they started gearing, the government started guaranteeing student loans. So the universities are guaranteed to get their money right? Um, they, the kids don't have to pay till later. They basically get themselves into indentured servitude. Um, the kids cannot default on the loans, yet the university is still. So if you go get an anthropology degree and you can't pay your bills, the university got their money. There's no feedback loop that says, hey, you know, like there's no returns, Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm a marketer. Like, you know, everybody in my world has like returns and yes, defects exactly. and stuff. So there's no return on defects. Okay. And then like, and it's just, I, I, I won't go into all the details, but if you look at the laws that have pa- been passed in the last 30 years, it's just been reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. And so the whole thing is 10 times as expensive as it was 25 years ago. It's delivering an inferior product to what it was 25 years ago. And I think unless you're in a really rigorous discipline like engineering, which is really, it's hard to be a self-taught engineer. It's hard to be a self-taught medical doctor. Yes. Um, But I'm I'm self-taught in biology and I've debated I mean, I've debated people on radio programs and podcasts, and I mean, I'll take on anybody. I've got judges from Harvard, Oxford, and MIT in my judging panel, um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be in London in a couple of weeks, and I'm meeting up with a number of Oxford professors, you know, and we, we talk very freely about this stuff, and mm-hmm. in fact, the fact that I'm an outsider means one, one thing, so... I I have this great belief in the power of the interdisciplinary conversation. And it's when the physicist and the chemist have to talk to each other. 
or the business guy and the engineer have to talk to each other or the musician and the investor have to talk to each other. Well, it's a lot more work because you can't just use your usual industry lingo. You have to explain everything that you mean. Um, but when you do that, it has this wonderful cleansing uh, effect. You know, if, if, uh, if a musician has to explain something to an investor, the investor would be like, uh, now, wait a minute, like, this still doesn't make sense. And like, he has to bring it down to plain English. And what I find when you can bring anything down into plain English, where anybody can understand it, you automatically purify a lot of the bad thinking that's in it. Um, and also, uh, what, what's happened in the world is with any, any discipline, you know, you name it, it could be medicine, engineering, chemistry, you know, business, administration, every profession, it has a set of beliefs, it has a set of assumptions and all this other stuff, and it has a set of limitations and it gets commoditized. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, we graduate a thousand accountants a year and they all know this like list of stuff and they're all worth $37 an hour and like, that's it, right? Well, in the interdisciplinary zone, when it's like, okay, let's do, you know, accounting and anthropology, like we could pick two random things. If we stick those together, there's always a discovery that's made where the two intersect. And it's like, it's like a tree branch that doesn't exist that all of a sudden you literally created by doing that. Well, in a world where everybody's jobs are getting commoditized and you can hire somebody on Upwork to do just about anything and, mm -hmm. you know, and artificial intelligence is doing everybody's job, that is where the big breakthroughs and the opportunities actually are. Right. Yeah. The world is a completely different place. Than yeah. it was 30 years ago. Were you ever bullied? Do you have a bullying story <laughs> where mindfulness would have made a difference with how that worked out? I thought, no, that's a question nobody's asked me on a podcast. Um, well, I I'll tell you one. Um, when I was 13, I, I was, it was going both directions. It's like I got, I got beat on by a bunch of different people and and so I was like, hey, I'm going to toughen up and I'm not going to take this anymore. And so I, I started getting aggressive with other people. And I started picking on this one guy. He wasn't really picking on me. So you could say that I was bullying him or I don't I, think bullying is the right word, but certainly uh, it was inappropriate. And he's like, he's like, hey, you and me, we're going to fight after school. And I'm like, yeah. oh, crap. Well, I know I can't back down and it's like the ego gets involved. I should have mm -hmm. said no. I should have just swallowed, but I didn't. So we go out and we have this fight and like I lost mm -hmm. and, you know, the big crowd of kids watching the whole thing. And like at first I was doing well, but then I started running out of gas and he starts prevailing and then I have to give up. No, boy, no that's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Right now, um, you know, now, a little more mindfulness, a little more self-aware. It's like, I knew, I actually knew when he said, Hey dude, I thought this is a bad idea, but I did not have enough integrity, enough self-honesty to go, Hey, you know what? 
I, I would actually rather apologize to you and like not get into this. And you know what? I'm just not going to do it again. Like, okay, you win, I lose. That would, and that would have been a smaller defeat than the one that I ended up having, um, which, you know, there was actually, you know, some shrapnel as a result like there's always unintended consequences. Right. And I won't yeah. go into it, but it's like, well, then that happens, you know, and then these other things happen and people say things to you and like, it was just bad. Mm. Um, and uh, now I think this happens all the time to people. It's not usually fist fight behind a school. Okay. Right. But it could be the proverbial fist fight, like, you know, between companies, between CEOs, you know, these things like, well, yeah, we're going into this market. And somebody's like, you know, I don't really think you should go into that market. I think that's a really bad idea. And they're like, no, like we got, we're yeah, doing it years later, they lose however many millions of dollars and yeah. they have to make a big write off and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. This happens all the time. <laughs> well, Perry, yeah, it's it's all about our mindset, that's for sure, and our ego and, and everything. I, I want to move forward by asking you five quick answer questions. The first is, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Um, it's a it's a lady from Northern Ireland named Jerry Hogg. Um she, uh, I, I went on this trip to Ireland, which became my favorite place on the planet. And she taught me a Celtic way of connecting to nature, um, which completely shifted my inner world. It was like one of the biggest shifts I've ever had in my life. Um, and yeah, very, very big deal fascinating how has mindfulness affected your emotions perry uh a lot calmer um now you know what we'd all like this to be is like okay i'm going to do my mindfulness exercise and like you know within three days like everything's going to be fine for me i mean it really took months and years like we humans are complex beings and we've got a lot of garbage and we've got deep closets with lots of bones and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you know, over a period of years, oh my goodness, like the difference is profound. I used to, man, I used to be a bag of snakes, man. Like I, I'm just a lot more composed than I used to be. And it's nice. Well, that is nice. Yeah. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness or is it? Um, it is to a degree. I now I don't, uh, probably not like some people. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, my, we have two special needs adopted kids. Anybody that's done adoptions knows that you deal with all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah. And, um, and one of the first things that you do with a kid who's um, triggered, mm -hmm. breathe. Yeah. CJ, take a breath and you do it. You go, you know, and when you do that with another human, you, you, you could do it with the CEO. You're like, everybody's going to say, hey, everybody, take a breath. Most people will actually do it 
It'll actually work, yeah, even in a room full of people, will. even in a meeting. Uh-huh. Everybody take a breath. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. And it, it resets. It really does. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, you've written a lot of books, but if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Can I give you two? Sure. W- one of them would be The Artist's Way. Yes. Uh, which I'm sure you guys talk about. Uh, the, yeah. the other one would be the book of Psalms in the Bible, which I used to not understand. Like, mm-hmm. what is it with this manic depressive guy? Yeah. Like he's on the mountaintop and he's all depressed. And he's, and what I realized was that the reason I didn't relate to him is I had already like walled off a bunch of that stuff because I didn't like dealing with my natural rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, you know, shoved a bunch of stuff in a corner and right. sealed it off. And, um, but when I got quite a bit older, I actually started to understand what was going on. It was like, no, this is a book of total self-honesty, including stuff that's really ugly and embarrassing or politically incorrect or whatever. Okay. But what you'll see is he processes his way out of the blues, which is one of the most important things that you can ever do. And and if you want to see that done, I mean, look, this is like, this is like literally one of the top 10 pieces of literature in the whole world. If, if you don't know the Psalms, then you, woe is you for being deprived of, of one of the great uh, cultural treasures of history. Yeah, well, that's good advice. Yeah, get yourself in there reading the Psalms. Very important. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful or that you would recommend? <laughs> um, well, this is, um, okay, this is bizarre. And I, I don't even know if it's going to, if it's going to help anybody but me. Okay. But um, when, when Jerry, took me and these other people on this trip uh, and we were in Western Ireland and Mm -hmm. uh, we were basically as far West as you can go without falling into the ocean. And we were standing on the edge of a cliff doing my, my friend Megan Macedo, who's also Irish. She calls it standing on a cliff and feeling insignificant, which I think is just, one of the best things that you can do. Um, And uh, because like something massively shifted when I, when I did that, that day, that was about four years ago. Um, Well, it just so happens that uh, across the water from that cliff is this Island called the great Blasket Island, which I've visited to many times. In fact, one time I got lost and on it and got, had to sleep under a rock, but that's a whole nother story. Um, But (laughs) there, there is a, uh, there is a uh, an app at the Blasket Center. Um, it's the Blasket app, and, and they have this webcam. And so you can look out the window and you can see, like, whatever the ocean is doing, whatever the weather is doing that day. And it's sort of like a way of connecting to a different place. Now, see, I don't know if this is going to help anybody but me. I mean, this is just um, – but I, um, you know, maybe – maybe we could, you could generalize this to the idea 
that when you want to focus, you don't have to focus on where you are. You don't have to focus on where you are or when you are. What I find that I can do is I can recenter myself by going to places or times where I've had a significant spiritual experience and kind of reset. And I could, I mean, I could be eating lunch with somebody and I can do that. And um, I think most people kind of know what I'm talking about, but I don't know if most people really realize it's something that you can deliberately do. You can go, hey, honey, or hey, self, remember when we were at the Grand Canyon and I got up before light and I watched the sunrise and I sat with my legs dangling on the edge of that cliff and I just heard the silence or I watched the bird fly by. Okay, I'm going back there right now. I'm not going to be on a subway right now. I'm going to be, you know, doing that. Um, and So how's that? I think that's really cool. And that is, to me, that is mindfulness. You know, mm. that really is. And well, it's deliberately taking control of your state of mind and putting yourself in a space instead of just being where whatever happens to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I really appreciate what you said about the Psalms and how it, you know, he processed through yeah. his blues until he got somewhere else. And I was going to, I was going to put a challenge to you, Perry, because, you know, you put a challenge to us, to everybody in the world with your $5 million challenge. And I wanted to put a challenge to you. And I, I think that one of our biggest problems in the world is depression. It's that yeah. whole mindset thing. Yeah. And it's getting worse. It's getting it so much worse so fast. And, you know, like I, you know, my mandate is to share with everybody the whole idea of mindfulness and how it can help you. But how can we do that faster? How can we make more of a difference in the world to chip into this whole problem with depression and what's happening all around us? Well, you, you have to realize that all of this is, it's a cycle and it's, it's a thing that feeds itself. Okay. And so the behaviors feed the depression, the depression feeds the behaviors. And I think, I think part of being mindful or just self-aware is recognizing the behavior that feeds the attitude and the attitude that feeds the behavior and breaking the cycle. Okay. So so if you're a little bit depressed, you will naturally seek stimulation um, through iPhone, media, television, podcast, text message, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, food. Yes. Right. I think, I think the best way to break that is various forms of fasting. Okay. So I think you could look at, so you could look at, okay, I am not engaging in any form of communication before I've had my hour of meditation focus time where I will sit with my notebook. I'll think about my day. I'll plan my day. I'll prioritize. I'll pray. I'll, I'll do all this stuff, right? Then and only then will I engage with the rest of the world. Okay. So um, and, and, and like with, with food, well, here's what I found. If you need to, or want to lose weight, 
the worst way to do it is to have a little failed negotiation with every little thing that you eat. Yes, I, I agree. Okay, that is misery, okay? Yeah. If you fast, it, it could be for a morning, it could be until five o'clock, it could be the whole entire day, it could be for several days. You tell your body, no, no food's going in the mouth, shut up, we're done. And, and the cycle, it stops the cycle, right? Because like if you eat Oreo cookies, then you're starting a cycle. It's like, I want more and I want more and your stomach wants more and you're, it's stimulating mm -hmm. and all this, right? And then, and then you ate half a bag. That's right. And then you gain like a whole pound in one hour, right? Yeah. It's like, no, there's not going to be any Oreo cookies. And what you start to do is you start to build up willpower and, and you actually push the depression away. Um, and, um, uh, and I think there are millions of people that they're caught in this, right? Then you get in, you get in some argument about Donald Trump or whatever, and then you can't seem to get anywhere with anybody. So then you're frustrated, then you're more depressed and, and see, I think, I think millions of people are just caught in the cycle. And I think if you go to like centuries old daily habits, prayer, meditation, read something before Gutenberg, keep technology under very tight control. You fast. I think, I think you should fast from your computer one day a week. Okay. Along with your day off or, you know, your Sabbath or whatever. I think right. like, no, don't, like just keep the computer closed. No, you don't check your email. You don't do all that. You give your mind a rest and you break so when you break these little cycles, they cease to have power over you. And now you're in charge of your technology and you're in charge of your mind and you're in charge of your emotions. And this is absolutely essential. Like this is not just some polite suggestion. I would suggest to you, if you do not cultivate these kind of habits, you will be wrapped around some axle, which it only serves to help somebody you couldn't care less about. Like I'm sure it helps Google. I'm sure it helps Facebook. I'm sure it helps Apple. I'm sure it helps Amazon. It doesn't help you. No. Yeah. I really like that advice. Thank you very much for and that. Spoken and by a marketer who writes books about this stuff. And, you know, I know. You know, I'm you know about that. Okay. We have this book. Uh, I don't think I have it right next to it. Brand new third edition ultimate guide to Facebook advertising. Right, right. You know what I say in the very first chapter, like before you go super deep and all the Facebook ads and the and the audiences and, and everything? What do you say? I say delete the Facebook social media app off your phone and stop playing on Facebook all day because your job is to be a cook in the kitchen, not be a 350 pound guy shoveling food in his mouth in the restaurant. You're either in the kitchen or you're in the restaurant. You can't be in both. This is what we say in a Facebook advertising book. Okay. You're either pulling the strings in the matrix or you're in the matrix. You're not both. Like people don't get this. Um, and so like marketers and entrepreneurs, actually the, the smart ones are typically among the most self-aware people I know. It's like they get, they know this is a big giant game and they know it's rigged and they right, know like right. you have to play the game to eat, but it's like, I don't have to participate in it. 
In fact, yeah. most, most of the ones I know, they're actually <laughs> trying to do something useful and constructive while everybody else is just floating down the river. That's, that's what I can say about the people that I know. Um, so man, like, dude, like don't float down the river, man, or your life will go by and then you'll wonder what happened to my life. And that's what's happening to so many people. Here. Yeah. How can we learn more about what you do and connect with you? Well, um, two things. Um, if, if you like the, uh, mindfulness piece, mm-hmm. go to perrymarshall.com slash reboot and get on the waiting list and we'll let you know next time we do it. Um, and get on my email list. Uh, people like being on my email list. Do they find it hugely helpful? And, um, you can get three free chapters of evolution 2.0 at cosmicfingerprints.com. And, uh, you know, Bruce, I, I like what you said, you know, it looks like an intimidating book. It's actually written at a ninth grade level. And, you know, if there's a chapter you don't understand, you can skip it and just go to the next chapter. But you can understand this book. This is not rocket science. You'll actually find there's a great deal of common sense. And there's like, wow, I never realized how amazing living things are. Yeah, it, it is. I, I totally recommend the book. I, I've enjoyed it immensely. And I've enjoyed this chat immensely, too. So, Perry, I appreciate you coming on Mindfulness Mode and, and uh, wish you have a, an awesome rest of your day. Bruce, thanks. And uh, it's an honor to be on your show. And uh, just a shout out to all the people that listen to us today. Hope you have a blessed day. And, and uh, I, hope, I hope you find some, some room for prayer and meditation and, and real thought because uh, the world needs it. Thank you so much, Perry. Bye now. Bye. Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Wasn't it great? If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a comment at the bottom of the episode on my website. That's mindfulnessmode.com. I will mention you on an upcoming episode. Remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.